Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 83. This week, let's sample the very best food that Italy has to offer as we take a virtual visit to Royal Caribbean specialty restaurant Giovanni's Table. We'll discuss the restaurant's background, talk about what the menu offers, and why you might want to book a reservation here on your next cruise. I'll then jump back into the email bag to answer more of your messages, so here we go. Giovanni's Table is quickly becoming one of Royal Caribbean's more widespread restaurants across the fleet. And it's interesting because it's a fairly new restaurant. It first debuted back in the Oasis class of ships on Oasis of the Seas. And obviously, it was also included on Allure of the Seas. And in recent years, actually, we've seen Giovanni's Table spread to other ships in the fleet during renovations, usually replacing the old Italian restaurant aboard Royal Caribbean, which was Portofino's that is still available on a couple ships, but it's on its way out being replaced by, again, Giovanni's Table. So what is Giovanni's Table? Well, it's like the name implies. It's an Italian restaurant. It's something that is uh, an idea that, that based on the fact that Italian dining should be more about a family-style setting than maybe Portofino's, which was more about – had a more formal setting to it. And Giovanni's Table, again, it, it's kind of different on different ships. On the Oasis-class ship, it's located in Central Park. It's kind of a more of a – it almost feels like you're walking into someone's kitchen, whereas on the other ships I've had, as an example, Navigator of the Seas, it doesn't have that feel necessarily, but it's just like any other specialty restaurant you've been to on a Royal Caribbean ship. And, and in either case, it, what it's really about, again, is that family-style serving of, of great Italian food. And a lot of people ask me, you know, Matt, what's the difference between Giovanni's Table or Portofino's, and how does it differ? You know, they're, they're very different. I think Portofino's has more of a upscale feel to it, kind of like in the way that Chops Grill does. But Giovanni's Table doesn't necessarily have a bad feeling. It doesn't feel like it's a McDonald's or anything like that. Rather, I think Giovanni's Table really is about evoking that we're gonna just going to be – here's some really good food in a nice setting. And I do think, though, if you're going to eat a Giovanni's Table, if you had a choice, there's no question the ones on the Oasis-class ships are just really well set up. I think it's a Central Park setting. That's just all it is versus, you know, a restaurant that's up near the Windjamer on deck, you know, whatever it is, deck 11. So I, it's different decor. If you had a choice, there's no question. I really enjoyed the, the, the theme and the setting on the Oasis-class, but... Now, that being said, I still enjoy my time when I dine there on Navigator of the Seas. But when we're talking about Giovanni's Table, let's talk about a couple of good facts about this restaurant and what really is appealing here. Number one, obviously, there's Italian food. So if you're a fan of Italian food in general, this is by far some of the best Italian food I've had on a Royal Caribbean ship. Uh, number two, the price. On most cases, and, and this is, you know, I've dined at Giovanni's Table over the years, the price is usually pretty low, especially for relative to what especially restaurants on Royal Caribbean ships go for. In my experience, they've been in the ballpark of about $20 per person. Now, we compare that to, say, Chop's Grill, which is now closer to $40 a person. You have Wonderland, which is also closer to that price. I mean, these are all restaurants that have a higher point, whereas Giovanni's Table actually has a much lower point. In fact, it's also open for lunch in many cases, and that has even a reduced price on it. So for someone who's looking for a specialty restaurant but doesn't necessarily want to shell out maybe you know, $40 or more, $30 or more for per person, this is a good way to save a little bit of cash. And the other thing I really like about Giovanni's Table is the freshness of the food. Again, most specialty restaurants do a good job of this, but again, at Giovanni's Table, they really have food that they're serving you that feels like it's absolutely fresh. It's not been stored in a freezer for the last two weeks, and it, it really shows. And I think that everything we try is always like, wow, I don't know where to where where to stop because there's so much food coming and I want to enjoy it all, but uh, it, it's really one of those great restaurants, and you know, I've really enjoyed it, and that's why I want to talk about it this week. So let's talk about the food that is on Giovanni's table, and if you look at a menu, the, the menu changes all the time. I'll actually link 
in our show notes to reviews that I've done on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com on the different ships I've eaten there on Navigator of the Seas and Oasis of the Seas. And you know, in both cases, the menus, now, there were many years. In fact, Oasis was back in 2010 and Navigator was in 2014. But yet, the menu remains essentially very much the same, and I think it's an important aspect. Certainly, there's when you're looking at the menu, you're going to be looking at a couple different things. First of all, you're going to be starting off with the appetizers and salads, of which there are many. And I think, actually, Giovanni's does the best job with their appetizers and, and salads and soups. I think these are the, the standout things. And I think if I was going to eat at Giovanni's next time with a group especially, we'll just order all the appetizers. And we'll say, let's see where we are with the appetizers, and then we'll get back to the entrees. Because I think they really do a, a fantastic job. In fact, my favorite thing on the entire menu is located in the appetizers. It's the baked eggplant parmesan. It's, and I'm going to butcher the Italian pronunciation. It's the melanzani alla parmigiana. And, sorry, I apologize. But it's the best thing I've had on the menu. I'm a, I love eggplant parm. So let's put that out there. I think I'm obviously biased towards it. But they do an amazing job with the eggplant parm. I'm not sure what they do, what they put on it, how they do it. But you know what it, what it is is I think, number one, it's not fried eggplant it's more of a baked eggplant parm and i think that makes a big difference in terms of kind of what you're getting for the food i i really feel like they do an excellent job with that and it, it's it's served in a little small bowl and every time i order it i get it i start eating it and i'd say to my wife i'm pretty sure i've said this every single time i've eaten there to my wife it's like maybe i should cancel the rest of my order and just keep getting these like i want to like a brazilian steakhouse style of i'm gonna put a sign up and until i take the sign down keep bringing me eggplant parm <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's just it's it's an amazing little dish, and it's it's I think it's one of the best things they do. The other thing that's really cool. Uh, there's a lot of other options. In fact, it's not just the other thing. There's a lot of things. So where do I start? All right. Well, there's antipasta. If you're a big fan of antipasta, mm, it's a good sharing dish, especially. So if you're there with friends, I really like it. And the other one I really enjoy is the uh, focaccia alla Giovanni, which is a t- basically an Italian flatbread that's made actually made for for sharing. And you have a couple different options you can choose from it. Again, they do a really good job with this. And it's a great sharing dish. It's a great sampling. You know, part of going to these restaurants is you just want to sample a lot of this because there's so much food they're bringing you. Why not just get a little bit of everything to try? So the focaccia is a great flatbread to try, and I really think this is this stands out as a really nice option for you to to go with. Now, the other thing is I always, like, I always go for the soup. I'm a big fan of soups, and even if I'm in the Caribbean, <laughs> it's 80 degrees out, I'm going to try the soup. So you got to check out whatever they have on the menu whenever you happen to be there. Usually there's a kind of some some sort of a tomato-based soup. And it's something I just like to, again, sample, have a little bit of, and then move on to the next dish. But really, again, the appetizers are really well done. But, you know, I talk a lot about the appetizers, but the entrees, there's two categories of entrees. You've got pastas and you've got, well, entrees, basically things that aren't pasta. And I'm a big pasta fan. I love it. And my favorite thing, if I couldn't eat the eggplant parmesan just on constant basis, I would definitely go for the lasagna. It's a traditional meat lasagna. And you got to check out the photo on and the review that I posted from Navigator of the Seas on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Again, that'll be in the show notes because... It was amazing. This is not like my mother's. I apologize to my mom who's not listening, I hope, because my mom for many years made a lasagna that I thought, again, as a kid, I didn't know any better. I figured this was a lasagna. Let me tell you something. My mom does not know how to make lasagna. <laughs> my mom's not Italian, so she'd probably be the first to admit, but this is not like that. This is not just layers of noodles, sauce, cheese, and in case my mother, the top would always be burnt, but <laughs> it's not that at all. It, this is like... I don't know how to explain it. It's just it's it's awesome sauce is what it is. I don't know how they do it. It's basically instead of having just like this structured to it, it's, it instead of like constructing like concrete where you're making a building, you have different layers. This is kind of a 
and I'm no foodie here, but I'm going to say it's a menagerie of sauce, cheese, meat, and noodles. It's really, I think, a very creative way of make, creating lasagna. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen it created this way. And what I love about it is it doesn't have that it, – it all blends together. It's not just like, okay, now I'm eating the noodle. Now I'm eating the sauce. You know, It, it doesn't feel like you can taste – every layer, but rather it's just a blending of them all together. I really enjoyed it. And I think that's really something that uh, stands out. And the other thing was when I went to Giovanni's table on Navigator of the Seas, I actually ordered the meatballs, not because I want, I was in the mood for meatballs, but because uh, evidently from what I understand, the waiter mentioned that the meatballs were what Giovanni's table is known for. So I'm like, well, you know, when in Rome, <laughs> get it. Uh, I figured I'll give the meatballs a try. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't love the meatballs. Not to say that I didn't, they weren't bad or anything like that. They just weren't to my liking. I think because they were veal-based. I'm not a huge veal fan. But it was a nice thing to try and something different, certainly. And again, I will give them credit where credit is due. This did not taste like the sort of meatballs I traditionally get at a restaurant. Again, very nice quality. Now, in terms of other things, I mean, man, the entrees, there's just there's a lot to choose from here. And it kind of depends what you're interested in. They do have some fish they have shrimp. There's chicken on the menu. There is a steak on the menu, in fact. And we, I've tried a couple of these. I mean, the steak is not bad at all. I, you know, I think there's so many great options to choose from when you're looking at Giovanni's table that it's it's kind of one of those restaurants that, again, I recommend sharing and, and sampling. It's not the kind of restaurant that I go into, except for the eggplant farm, where I, I say, okay, I'm going to eat one, two, three, and four, and that's going to be my meal. I say, when we go in there, I tell my wife, okay, let's pick out you know, two from here, two from this category, two from this category, and let's just try them all. Let's just sample, and, and, and that's, I think, the real benefit here of the real strength of Giovanni's Table is that ability that they just give you such great food to just, it's great for sampling. And this is the, what I love about specialty restaurants in Royal Caribbean, especially because you can order as much as you want. It's not just, you're not just limited to one op- appetizer, one entree, and one dessert, and that's it. I mean, you, you really have the ability to order as much as you want. And in this kind of restaurant, I think really sharing and sampling is the way to go. In fact, I would love to go to Giovanni's Table with a large group sometime because I think we'll just order one thing on the menu from everything and, and we'll just sample it all because I think that's really the way to, to enjoy. And I really, and I think that's what brings me back to Giovanni's table every single time. It's, it's that fresh food. It's that a good quality food. That's still different. It's not, again, I, it's, this is not Olive Garden. This is not the kind of cookie cutter Italian food that you may have gotten at some other restaurants elsewhere. This really is originally created dishes. I think there is some actual inspiration and thought behind it. And I think Giovanni's table, honestly, it floats under the radar in terms of Royal Caribbean fans for what they, you know, list as their best restaurants. I think it does a great job. And the other thing is that price. I looked it up actually on Navigator of the Seas. It was $15 for lunch when we sailed on there. I mean, that's a steal, especially for especially restaurants on a Royal Caribbean ship. And for that kind of a price, for what they offer you, it's an amazing value. And that's what I really love about Giovanni's Table. And you know, if you've eaten at Giovanni's Table, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. So if you've got, if you, if you eaten there and, and you loved it or you didn't love it, I want to hear both ways. Please email me, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Once again, it's time to read your listener emails. And again, I want to thank everybody for checking out the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. It's been an, it's been so much fun for me to do this each and every week. And I hope you're enjoying it as well. And of course, one of the things I always try to remind all of our listeners to do, if you can, if you have five minutes, it won't even take you that long, honestly, to leave a review on iTunes for us. It's one of the best ways to help spread the word about the podcast, the way that iTunes work. I, don't, I won't get into it, but if you leave a review, it really goes a long way. And I always read the reviews we get on iTunes right here on the podcast. It's a big thank you to everybody who who takes the time to do that. I really appreciate that. So big thank you to everyone who's leaves the reviews, who sends us the emails. And of course, for you all for listening, you guys are my friends 
I, I love that I get to spend every week with you talking about Royal Caribbean. It's my favorite thing to do. So thank you all so much. All right, let's jump into the emails here. And of course, you want to have your email read. Matt, you can email me, Matt, M-A-T-T, at Royal Caribbean blog.com. In fact, you can email me right now as you're listening. That'd be so meta. <laughs> it would be a great way. You know, you're listening, you're in the mood. Send me an email. Tell me your thoughts on maybe it was Giovanni's table we just talked about. Maybe it's about another topic that we covered on the podcast. Perhaps it's something else on your mind. You're planning a cruise and you want more information. You've got a question, whatever it is. It's all good. Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. All right. Here it is. First email of the day. And it is from Paul Westbrook. And Paul writes, Matt, getting to Horseshoe Bay, bus, taxi, or excursion? Good question, Paul. And of course, Horseshoe Bay is the very popular beach in Bermuda. And if you're going to Bermuda, you have to go to Horseshoe Bay. I don't care who you are. It's just the thing to do. In fact, it's one of the more inexpensive things to do in Bermuda because Bermuda can be very expensive. All right. So the answer to your question, the answer is bus. The reason why is because taxis rental cars and, and basically any kind of private transportation to anywhere in Bermuda is going to be very expensive. Something I'm, I'm not sure why Bermuda is more expensive than other. I know it's not really in the Caribbean, but we'll include it in the Caribbean, Caribbean ports, but it's very expensive. So the bus is really the way to go. There's actually a bus stop that will pick you up right at the cruise port. You hop on there and it'll bring you there. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, and I'll post a link in our show notes to the article, the government of Bermuda recently just instituted special new kind of express buses because before what you do is you get on the bus and the bus would stop all along the way so you'd pick up you know locals which is fine I mean I don't think they I'm sure they're used to it but you know obviously those locals don't want to go to the beach you want to go to the beach so it just slows everything down and takes up space for for both sides right well they've added some new express buses for the tourists especially and brings you right over there it's the most inexpensive option there is I don't remember how much it was but it wasn't really bad at all especially per person it makes perfect sense they run them all the time and it's just the easiest way to do basically the bus would bring you to the beach although it'll bring you to the top of the hill and then you have to walk down the hill to the beach the walk is probably it's not a quarter of a mile but it is a very steep walk that you're walking down a hill now for for you paul or for myself we won't have a problem with it kids not a problem but if you've got mobility issues maybe your knees aren't as great as they once were or if you're obviously in a wheelchair there is an option for you as well there are actually some locals there that will drive you down there's a little shuttle and it only costs you a couple dollars and to bring you down there so there is that option as well but basically what i'm trying to say is the bus will drop you exactly at the beach you have to walk down to the beach and then from there you can rent beach chairs you know umbrellas whatever it is or you can just lay out the your your towel and and head on in it's wonderful and in fact horseshoe bay is also great for there's a little alcove there for kids if you're bringing little ones when we went there with her with my daughter and she was like a year and a half or maybe two years old the most so she obviously can't swim she could barely walk at the time but they had this little cove basically if you're facing the beach it's to your right and it was perfect it was just a protected cove the water was like you know maybe knee deep on her and it was just perfect for splashing you'll see a lot of other kids over there so definitely take the bus it's one of the best things you can do it's very easy very simple and very inexpensive so check that out thank you paul next we have an email from judy hornback who writes i was recently on the alert of the season had need for emergency medical care the staff was wonderful the facilities exceptional due to my condition i missed out on a full day of fun on the ship but royal caribbean credited me for that amount for my next cruise certain conditions had to be met when you go on a vacation, you never plan on something happening, but it's nice to know that they are looking out for you. I've sailed on six different ships in the fleet, and this was my first for me. Maybe some of your listeners would be interested to know how the medical team works, especially the families of small children. Thanks for all hard work. Love the show. Been listening since you started. P.S. I'm a big Disney fan, too. Judy, great email. You know, it's great to hear that if, unfortunately, things go bad in terms of medical care and you need some on the ship, 
that Royal Caribbean does the right thing there and takes care of you, and it was all to your liking, and there were no issues. So I'm really happy to hear that. I'm very happy to say that, and I knock on wood, and I don't know, I turn around three times and spin on the ground, whatever I need to do uh, to assure that I don't jinx myself. I've never had to go to get emergency medical care on board a ship. Uh, I've heard good things about it. It is expensive. It can't, I'm not sure Judy didn't mention how much it costs her because I think in many cases you're paying out of pocket for it. But let me tell you something. It's If, if, if the choice is that or nothing, you got to go for it, right? I mean, don't sit there and suffer or worse. So, you know, make, you should be aware that it exists. And I'm glad to hear, Judy, that you had a very positive experience with it. Thank you for the email. I always like hearing about those kinds of things. Next, we have an email from Chris from Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Hey, Matt, quick questions. Why are some ships registered in Nassau, Bahamas? Do they get some crazy good tax breaks, or is it just a thing to do? Also, thank you for answering my other emails. It brings a smile to my face to hear my name announced on the podcast. Keep up the awesome blog and podcast. Hashtag you rock. Love that. Thank you, Chris. That's a good question, actually. Why do Royal Caribbean ships and cruise ships in the industry in general are registered to places like NASA, Panama, Dominican Republic, whatever the case may be? So Royal Caribbean, most ships, I think all their ships, in fact, but I could be mistaken, are registered to the NASA. And there's this is kind of a weird issue and weird in that there's no straight answer for you. I think, and, and you can do a lot of research on this, Chris, I think the issue kind of comes down to a couple things. Number one, of course, there are tax breaks if you registered your company in the in a foreign co- country. It gives you the advantage of having to pay the taxes there, as well as regulations. The United States has much stringent, more stringent regulations than other countries do. And I think this is just this is the way the industry works. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying this is just how the cruise industry works. And I think there was a figure that I had read on, I think, at USA Today or some other site that, you know, a vast majority, like 90% or more of cruise ships that are out there are flagged outside the United States. So it's just the practice that's out there. And I think it has to do with regulations and and more about regulations, I think, than taxes, although I think they do get kind of a tax break if they, if rather than if they had the ships, you know, based or flagged in the United States. But the thing to remember also is that these companies like Royal Caribbean still have their headquarters in the United States, still pay their taxes for, for you know, what they do as a corporate entity. So it's not like they're based in Switzerland and, you know, doing all their business, you know, in the United States, but not representing there. They still are based in the United States, still have a place, they still have an address. So it's just, I think this is just the way the industry works, and I'm certainly not qualified to give you a much better answer than that in terms of why they do it this way. I think it's just, you know, this is international law and and, and how kind of, and this isn't just international, this is international uh, sea law, you know, in terms of how all that is handled. But essentially, that's the basics of it. That's the core, and I hope that kind of makes some sense, and hopefully that'll give you some at least inside. I think you were pretty much on the on the trail right there, Chris, as to why they kind of do it there. But it's basically money and, and regulations, and, and this kind of just is the way that the industry has kind of maneuvered itself over, I don't know, the last many dozen years or so. So thank you for the email, Chris. Let's go to our next email. It's from Christopher Percy. Hello, Matt. On our transatlantic cruise on Celebrity Eclipse last year, in November, we stopped in Port Canaveral on the way to Miami and were able to see the new cruise terminal under construction. Back in episode 80, when you were talking about cruising in and out of Port Canaveral, it's certainly a better situation than the older terminal since there are restaurants and stores within walk distance for those that are so inclined. Port Canaveral is certainly a worthy stop, and the excursion that we took that hit the highlights, including the Space Museum, locks, and the opportunity to see lots of wildlife was well worth the trip. Very good. Thank you, Christopher. And I like to hear about the excursion you mentioned there, about the highlights, essentially, of Port Canaveral. Good to hear that there's some other options other than just the Space Museum or the theme park. So I'm always interested, you know, that kind of stuff is, is more than just the usual, right? Always a pleasure. Thank you, Christopher. Next, we have an email from Chuck and Chuck Wright, Chuck from East Tennessee. 
Chuck Rice, my wife and I are new to Royal Caribbean Cruising and cruising in general. We have lots of questions here. A couple hope you can help. We leave on Oasis of the Seas on September 19th, 2015. Can you tell us about internet connectivity on board? How fast is it? How much does it cost? And what about phone and texting access? All right, good questions all around. Uh, number one, the internet on Oasis of the Seas has recently been upgraded. They have this new technology, the new satellite technology. makes it a whole lot faster than it used to be. So it is available for you. Uh, and how fast is it? Royal Caribbean kind of discovered, actually, it says it's about as fast as it is actually at your home for a lot of people. The, they're not even saying, like, you know, uh, kind of a Starbucks kind of speed. They're saying it's really, really fast. In my experience, on Quantum of the Seas can verify that it is, in fact, very, very fast. The fast light, you know, you can stream things like uh, FaceTime, Skype, you can watch videos. But it's up to you what you want to do. And there's certain levels of access. You can get, like, basic access. You can get, like, premium access. And you can get, like, super premium access. The, I'm making up the names here. But basically, the super premium access gets you the ability to stream like you know you can you can watch netflix if you wanted to the next one has a little bit faster and the, and the first tier is just about like maybe just you know email and and that kind of thing so it depends on which tier you pick but they do have unlimited plans so you can pick between a plan that maybe just gets you a couple hours gets you a day or gets you the entire duration of your cruise so that's definitely the kind of your option on there and and pricing changes a lot i don't want to quote your price and and then you get on board and be like, ah, that's not what matt said but it's not the cheapest thing in the world. It's certainly not. It's not like a matter of dollars per day, but it's not as expensive as it used to be. And I think it, you'll find that it's for if, if you're Chuck, if you're like me and you like being online constantly, there, it's a it's a good little plan to to pick up. Maybe you try it out a day or two and see how you like it, and then you can always you know opt in later. And don't forget, Chuck. I'm not sure. I think you mentioned you're new to cruising, so you don't know. Uh, darn. It. I was gonna say if you're a Crown Anchor member. You can use some of the discounts there. So unfortunately, that won't work for you this time. Sorry. But the next cruise, you'll be able to use that to bring the price down just a little bit. But I would you know, try it out. They have plans that are available for you know 24-hour access. Give it a shot. See how you like it. See how often you actually want to use it. And then kind of go from there. The other question you had was about oh, phone and texting access. Yeah, so we talked about this in the last couple of episodes. But Royal Caribbean does provide a cellular hookup to you. I would not recommend using it. It's very expensive to use, actually. Uh, do not use the phone at all. Wait for either going on land if you want to use maybe your your Wi-Fi access or if you want to get a SIM card. That's a whole different issue. For texting, it's not terrible. You'll probably, you know, if you just do texting and, and you lay off the data, you should do straight MMS, you'll probably be, again, a couple dollars here and there for, for a message. So it's not bad. It's not terrible. But keep in mind, I would actually check with your carrier to make sure for exact costs. Texting, though, I think is affordable, but phone and data usage are the things you want to avoid on a cruise ship. Next, uh, check also, Alan said, we'll be staying at the Embassy Suites near the port on the night before our cruise. What can you tell us about Embarkation Day? When do we get to the port? What happens? Wow, great question. I'm actually going to refer you back to Episode 8, in which we talked all about Embarkation Day, but I will answer this in saying that I always get to the port very early. I figure the earlier I get to the port, the earlier my vacation begins. I want to get on board. I, the price you pay for your cruise doesn't matter if you get to the port at 10 a.m. or 3 o'clock p.m., you're still getting the same. You're still paying the same amount. May as well get more of the cruise experience, right? So what I always do is I'll get to the port somewhere in the ballpark of 10 to 10:30 a.m. So that way I can be among the first to get on board. First to get on board means the first I get to eat, like the lunch on board. I get to experience all the stuff. I get more ship time. So I always like recommending that. Again, it depends on. This is of course assuming you're near to the port. Maybe I usually fly in the day before. It depends on kind of what your situation is, where you're coming from. But I always like doing that. I think it's easy, easily the, the the easy solution. Also, it's the least crowded solution. You're gonna find that the crowds really start showing up around lunchtime. So maybe around noon to two, three o'clock, you're gonna have the most crowds because everyone's arriving there. And then you have the latecomers at the end. I wouldn't recommend doing that. So 
if you have the option, Chuck, I would recommend, since you are staying at the port the night before, I would get there, figure about 10, 10.30 at the latest, so that way you can be among the first to get on there, and your cruise begins a little bit earlier. And in terms of what happens, again, I'll defer to that episode, but basically, you go. it's like checking in. You, to, think of it like checking into a flight. Instead of boarding an airplane, you board a cruise ship. Same basic process. You go through security, you go to the counter, you check yourself in, you go sit down and wait, and then they call you and you go on board. That is it in a nutshell, but again, episode eight. I'll link in the show notes, Chuck, at royalcaribbeanblog.com for you to check that out. And our last email is going to be coming from Steve Clark. Do you have any idea when the 2016 European cruises will go on sale? Now, about a week or so ago, I would have told you I have no idea, Steve, but I do have an answer for you finally. I will link to the show notes for our full uh, opening schedule dates for deployment schedule, but I believe that Europe will be going on sale the week of March 16th, which essentially is not next week, but like a week and a half from when this podcast comes out. So the week of March 16th, Europe and Alaska cruises should be going on sale. Emphasis on should, but that's what we expect to happen next week. In fact, you'll see the cruises for uh, summer and fall for the Caribbean and the Northeast and Canada coming on. This again, these are, we're talking about the 2016, 2017 deployment schedule. I'll post a link in the show notes, royalcaribbeanblog.com. Check it out for more details there. Alrighty. Well, that'll wrap things up here. And again, thank you all so much for checking out the podcast, man. It's a lot of fun, and I got a lot of plans coming up here. I think we, maybe we're due for another live show. Hmm, wheels on my head are turning, huh? Maybe we'll do a couple of contests. I'd love to make this, again, more of an interactive show. I want to get you more on the podcast, so anything we can do to happen. And, of course, the best way, email matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Don't be a stranger. Love hearing from you. Even if you emailed me before, don't be like, ah, no one wants to hear from me anymore. My name is Michael Poole. I don't want to be. No, we want to hear from you, Michael. We want to hear from everybody. So uh, send us an email, and I love hearing it. It's a lot of fun, so check us out, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg. We'll talk again soon.